The Neon Grid podcast is recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I've got 100% staff retention rate in, in, in Colombo Social, which in hospitality over the last two and a bit years is, is unheard of. The retention rate at the charity, which we'll probably touch on later on, is still pretty much the same. We've had 101 people from marginalised communities come through our program and I think right now our workforce is 75% people from communities that are opportunity lacking. Welcome to the Neon Grid Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Rodriguez. Pick a language, any language, Farsi, Dosi, English, money, love. Whatever your choice, the verdict is the same. Kabul Social has captured the hearts, minds and wallets of the city. Today's guest, social entrepreneur Sean Christy David, has taken his learnings from his Sri Lankan restaurant Colombo Social in Enmore and his not-for-profit Plate of Forward to create a platform for Afghani refugees to share their culture with a Sydney audience that is hungry for both spiritual and physical nourishment, right in the heart of the Harbour City. The all-female Afghan team and Muhammad lead the operation delivering traditional Afghan fare with Sean and his exec chef John in support. Our newer Sydney siders are supported by language lessons, swim classes, and other support services. But more importantly, Kabul Social provides the opportunity for meaningful work as the team look to a brighter future here in Eora. That could be to remain in hospitality or to return to their existing profession. As just one example, Roya, who is university qualified in the Afghan equivalent of human resources, she arrived five months ago and now looks after Sean's 100 plus workforce. Shout out to Mervac for supporting the endeavour by donating the restaurant site. It's way better than having it sit there empty. And as a consequence, when you buy a meal for yourself at lunch, you will feed someone else in Sydney as well as someone in Afghanistan. And for those sectors crying out for staff, including in hospitality and events, there may be insights here as well. Sean is fully staffed, launching his own hospitality school to aid employees where opportunity hasn't been equal. I hope you are as inspired by this story as I have been. It's my pleasure to be joined today by Sean Christie David. Welcome, Sean, to the Neon Grid Podcast. Thanks, Mike. Pleasure to be here. It's been about a week since I saw you. It's in that time you've been turning tables relatively quickly at a new restaurant, gracing <laughs> us here near Wynyard. Is that correct? Yeah, it's been it's been wild. Um, I have never seen lines like that for for a new restaurant. Uh, What's well, like grab and go? Um, and to see 20 minute lines. So I think my mum always says, oh, close your eyes and visualize it. And I kind of close my eyes and visualized it. Um, but it's it's been it's been big. It's been really, really well received, which is nice. That's great. Well, we'll come on to talk about Kabul Social very shortly, but I thought uh, let's set some context for listeners today. I've invited you on to, uh, I think, tell your story really because it's one of those that I think is a inspirational one for me at least uh, in my role as 24-Hour Economy Commissioner. Thanks, uh, And uh, I hope that maybe others might, you know, be inspired by it as well. We've known each other a little while now. Like me, you turned your back on the corporate world at some stage, yeah. um, but uh, um, you've we, we connected most recently when I found you at Colombo Social. Yep. But do you want to just give us a bit about your background and and how Colombo Social came to be? Yeah, so I mean the long the long short story is I did probably ten maybe years in finance, so 
kind of work through the Royal Bank of Canada, Perpetual, Macquarie Bank, did that, went over to the UK um, and did a large project with the National Health Service there um, and kind of automated their their systems um, and did the largest outsourced project that the NHS had done at that wise from an automation perspective. Um, then came back to Sydney and kind of loved being home but realised that there was something that my mum had always said is, is kind of doing something that had social purpose behind it. Um, and at that stage, the social enterprise stage hadn't really kicked off. So I, I worked with Norman Swan for a while, um, for about five years. And during that process, we set up what is now called the Aboriginal Health Television Network. Uh, and that was that was something that we worked with the National Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organisation um, and Minister White at the time. We set up the Aboriginal Health Television Network um, and that was to give people from Indigenous communities a, a platform and a voice to talk about their health journey in a positive way um, and for it to be Black-owned and, and, and kind of keeping languages alive um, in rural communities as well. So a platform out-of-home media agency that kind of sat in all the Aboriginal medical services and it, it was that really cool engagement to say, instead of you're 16 times more likely to die from, it was changing the conversation to you're more likely to live because of these things. Um, and the day that it was announced um, by the minister, I actually resigned, um, handed my notification in and realised that it had to be black owned at that point. Uh, so five years of work and five years of kind of setting up that channel, um, it was time to go. And so was that, were you working full time on that or were you still at Macquarie at the time? No, I was working full time. So it was Tonic Health Media um, and... I kind of started to to, to talk to uh, Aboriginal medical services and they're like, we need this to be our own channel. So I kind of segued off, set up an uh, uh, Aboriginal health television network to be a charity um, and a not-for-profit and kind of worked on that. That was about three years. Um, and then, yeah, that, that was the start of kind of things that that meant something to to not only, I suppose, myself, but but the wider community and how do you kind of use your day-to-day skills or, or, or privilege to kind of make a positive impact on, on people around you. And then, and so this is about two or three years ago, and then you, you then like looked, looked around thought, hey, you know, there's a sector that needs me and it's hospitality. I'm going to go in and, like, <laughs> and change Sydney and, and, yep. and, and opened up on Emmore Road. Well, how yep. did that come to be, that story, that part of it? That part, I suppose it, it happened many years ago in, in a way. My mum, my mum's an amazing cook um, and the way that she would express her love to us was cooking really, really good food. We didn't grow up with a lot of money and stuff like that, but she would make miracles every day. Um, and I realised how powerful that was, but I also realised how it united everybody and how it brought us all together. I'd have mates from all over, like I went to a boarding school actually. Um, Whereabouts? I, I went to Hurlston. Sorry, oh. Glenfield. Yeah, yeah okay. boy. I can see see this now. <laughs> I was a day student. I was a day student. Um, but we had the boarding school. But like the boarders would kind of eat my food, or they'd kind of come over and they realised, hey, this is really cool. So we've got like country boys from, you know, wherever they were. Uh, we're talking like rural or like you know, nowhere, rural New South Wales. <laughs> exactly. Um, and they would come in and they, they, they'd realise that, that a lot of barriers were broken down because of that. And at my best mate's wedding. We, we kind of finished up and I took everybody home. There was about 20, 20 lads and we went to mum's house and I kind of caught her and I said, can you cook something? Because we're very intoxicated and we want some food. <laughs> um, so we, got, we all got in, I think we got in a bus or something, went to mum's house and she started cooking. And in 25 minutes, she pulled this dish off and everyone's like, what is this? Like, this is insane. 
and we realized how powerful food can be. So when it kind of came down to it, it was it was you can't be racist while having a kebab or you can't be racist <laughs> while uh, while eating something really, really delicious. So we kind of thought that that's a really good way to break down that. But, you know, being being a, being a first generation in, in Sydney, we didn't have many cool places to be a migrant when we were growing up. Like, you know, we're talking 20 years ago now um, and you could go out to the, to the Western suburbs and have really, really authentic food and delicious. And I still do it regularly. Um, my partner and I will always venture out to, to different areas trying to get really authentic food. But there was nothing that kind of crossed both. Um, and f- cool fit hours, really nice vibes and funky areas, um, but still home-style food. So we kind of went, let's do something around that. Um, and the recipes are still mums. So we still get mum coming in and teaching people, but we realised that to bring Sydney together, we could do it through something that was special and unique and a venue that celebrated not just me being Sri Lankan Australian, but I think a lot of people from different cultures still come in there and say, hey, man, like I might be Lebanese or I might be Greek or I might be, you know, somewhere from Asia or wherever it is, but they come in there and go, hey, man, I just, I just want to be here because it's cool. And that was really special. And I think one of the parts of the story that we may have uh, skipped over, but looking into your background, your, your own migration story or your family's migration story to Australia. Yeah. Yeah. So dad was dad was what I think at the time was a skilled migrant. He was sponsored by his sister, but the skilled part kind of changed when he got out here and had to requalify. Mm. Actually, so he wasn't none of his qualifications were kind of recognised. Yeah. Um, but we were lucky enough to come out here. But my mum was Tamil, so Tamil from the from Badaklo, the east coast of uh, of Sri Lanka. Um, and though they lived in Colombo, it was it was pretty 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 dangerous place. So when they got the opportunity to come out here. Um, I remember my my aunt moved out here before that. Um, I, I was actually I was actually born in born in Sydney, but my parents will tell me this a lot that she kind of came out here and described this country. And my parents were they kind of spent a bit of time in the Middle East, and they went back to Sri Lanka, and they looked at the opportunities that were in Sri Lanka, and they heard about this land, mm. this land where you could get jobs and you could have beautiful weather and you could have these kind of things that you'd never heard of and dreamed of and escalators like my parents had never seen an escalator and things like that and just what they described my my parents like this can't be true and they took a took a chance and moved out here and realized what this country had to offer and they just never looked back at that point on and so in terms of, so this Colombo social we're talking about specifically at the moment, Sri Lankan yep. restaurant in Moore Road, yep. and in terms of its welcoming nature yep. and uh, having dined there, I think was it at Colombo Social you, I guess, partly had the insight of creating opportunities for asylum seekers and refugees. And yep. has that potentially helped with its inclusive welcoming vibe, would you say? And, yep. Or is that a stretch? No, it's not. It's not at all. And the highlighting of the 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 community and workforce in, in Australia right now is, is kind of a very, very mm-hmm. hot topic. Um, to say that I've had five hospitality staff for two years, staff retention of 100% for that venue, um, well, five have been consistent and then we've just had a lot of people train up and move, move on to different jobs that had never, ever worked before. Um, I've got 100% staff retention rate in, in, in Colombo Social, which in hospitality over the last two and a bit years is, is unheard of. Um, the, the retention rate at the, at, the, at the charity, which we'll probably touch on later on, is still pretty much the same. Um, so we've had 100 
and one people from marginalised communities come through our program. And I think right now our workforce is 75% people from communities that are opportunity lacking. And I think 50 of them are still, still with us across the group right now. Um, it, is, it is an unbelievable case study in the power of sometimes unrepresented or unheard voices that can actually drive social inclusion, um, a sense of belonging, not only to them as, as kind of individuals, them and their families and their communities, but also other people that kind of come in there and see what is happening and seeing a, 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 an 18-year-old shy person who doesn't speak English very well blossom into the restaurant manager in the space of two years. Un, un, unheard of kind of... Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, like, I guess, uh, and you know, my background, I was running Time Out, kind yep. of quite critical review, and uh, I guess uh, you don't necessarily always focus on the experience beyond the meal, in, yep. a, in a way. And I guess, like, with uh, restaurants like Colombo Social and now Kabul Social, which we'll come and talk about, that is, I think, an indelible part of the experience of eating there. Uh, before we get on to Kabul Socials, yep. I want to kind of break down um, Plate It Forward, yep. uh, which is, uh, I guess, uh, a not-for-profit that you're over. Have I, have I got that correct? You're, yes. You're, you're, yep. You oversee that? Yep. But, but I think it might be helpful to, you, you know, so you're running Colombo Social, uh, um, things are going along well enough, so to speak, but yep. then the pandemic hits. And yep. what happens then? How did you manage to retain staff? How did you navigate that period and what, where did you where did you end up <laughs> yeah so we we shut down the restaurant on sunday as part of the, the government kind of mandate um and we had a we had a beautiful team um of of people who had taken chances on a, on a, on a startup restaurant that was crazy in terms of what it was representing unqualified staff and and things like that um, and we started to get to know their families their their their, their them as people um, and them being really, really, really incredible. Um, so when we shut down, I remember walking in on the Sunday, you know, no one, no one prepared you for this. No one knew, you didn't know what was coming. So when staff asked you questions, we were all kind of the blind leading the blind. And, and I walked in there and it was a Sunday night. And I remember coming in, walking in, trying to be strong, get in there. I, started, I burst out in tears. Like I just kind of stood there and everyone didn't know what to say, but you, you kind of cry and you're like, like I set this up with the most talked about restaurant for three months in a row and then suddenly it's taken away from you um, and you didn't know what to do. So we kind of kind of sat there and, and, went, and went through that and then I got phone calls from people um, and, and why I reference the Aboriginal Health Television Network is is because the kind of First Nations community in Redfern um, were doing a lot of work with Mission Australia, trying to set up a different kind of project with Mission Australia that kind of represented Colombo Social, but with with a different workforce. And there was a few other kind of organisations. They all called um, and they asked for help, right? And everyone's like, what, what can you do? Because they, they knew that we'd kind of had long-term kind of relationships. And I said, man, I've got, I've got food. Um, that's all I can do. So we started... We, we gave everyone Monday off and on Tuesday we just kind of went through our call room and just went, well, this is also good food. Yeah. Um, put it into boxes and I'll just take it out there. Um, and we kind of got it out there and then that started something that we'd never even dreamed of, um, which is which is where Plate It Forward kind of kicked in. Um, and about four weeks in, we had 27 charity partners donating about 3,500 meals a week across Sydney, just 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 wild we we're getting exemptions because you know we we're doing all this paperwork or just trying to get these meals going we had all our team retained besides some people who were living out in, in areas with little kids um, mm. and I wasn't sure 
where the medical kind of world would help and where it wouldn't help for people from like people seeking asylum and who, who might not yeah, I think have that's an important point to yep. mention because I think uh, the um, story you're describing in context of hospitality people understand um, in that uh, everyone had to shut and mm, yep. and there was but and and this wasn't universally applicable in that not everybody um, was given a uh, government um, Yep. Uh, right to stay, but in your case, you had a staff comprising asylum seekers, yep. and I guess the the safety net of well, I'm not, I don't know whether there was a safety net, but it wouldn't have felt like there was one. It was happening so quickly. Yeah. Um. So there you were with like a team, all of whose livelihoods depended on you. Yeah. Um. Yep. And you had to find a way to uh to shoulder that, and then you know a week later you're crunching out twenty seven thousand meals a day yep. or something. Yeah. The one thing that we don't really talk about. Um, and I don't tell a lot of people, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell a uh, I'll tell a podcast. <laughs> sure, <laughs> um, is that for the people that we we didn't think would qualify for benefits because people seeking asylum were were eligible, and there was a few other things that were kind of happening, um, but we weren't sure about medical help. We we kind of just asked them for their for their bills, for how long how much it's going to cost them to stay at home, how much they need to look after their families, and we just kind of put that in their money. Um, we we were lucky enough at the start to have a little bit of surplus funds that we yeah. hadn't um, factored in because we. The restaurant was going really well, um, and we made a business decision at that time to kind of just make sure that we kept everybody safe, and we kind of went through our went through our books and kind of started paying for everybody. Um, and I think that that's what a lot of empl- we're not the, we're not the only ones to do that. Um, but we were dealing with a, a, a cohort of people that hadn't had the same family, yeah. or 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 you talked about the 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 kind of safety net. They didn't have that safety net that you could kind of lean on. Uh, so we kind of became their quasi kind of network to help out so we did that and then we employed whoever we could there was a couple of mates that kind of were working in restaurants that couldn't get um benefits we just started to employ them um it we 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 burnt through all our savings um in the space of i think two months um and everything that we kind of stored um and then we asked the the kind of the people to help out. Yeah and in terms of those corporate partners because obviously uh i think just observing your way of operating and the things you've been able to achieve. Like, how have you gone about those corporate partners and what have they provided? Uh, I, I know I met uh, a team from Mervac and maybe Len Lease. I don't know. Was it Len Lease? I'm not sure who it was, yep. but but there was kitchens, there was corporates. Like, what, 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 what tangibly, what have partners provided? Yeah, we, we try to make sure that our, our partnerships aren't financial uh, and we ask for a lot of in-kind support. Commonwealth Bank, for example, um, very early on, we, we, were, we were put in touch with um, the South Everly team. So Mervac from South Everly and, and Commonwealth Bank from South Everly um, just said, what do you need? We said, well, mate, we're, we're, we're at capacity. We're an 80-seater restaurant. Like, there's no way the equipment that we have can deal with this. Um, we don't have it. And they're like, cool, well, we've got a brand new multi, multi, multi-million dollar kitchen that staff aren't in. It's yours. So they opened their doors, let us in, gave some of their staff that was still on, um, and that's how we could actually meet the demand at that point. Um, and using the technology of one of the biggest kitchens in, in Sydney yep. was was that. Um, Mervac have come to the party and, and donated spaces. So when Commonwealth Bank kind of had their staff returning, we couldn't both be in there. It's quite dangerous. We, we have a training school, which we'll talk about later on, but our students were in there um, and they're not trained chefs and stuff like that. So... Mervac are like, what do you need? I said, I need a space to be able to meet this new demand because that was during the next lockdown. Um, and they gave us a 450 square meter space in, in Darling Harbour. They've donated a huge uh, new space in Wynyard. Uber, Uber 
when we were kind of doing a lot of stuff with that that that, that recent lockdown and and the kind of newly arrived um, Afghan refugees kind of came through, we kind of were told that there was no 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 kind of clothes and they just kind of left with the clothes on their back and they were trying to get to medical appointments and we we're trying to move food everywhere through the western suburbs when and you had to get COVID. Anyway, it was it was kind of logistically a nightmare. So I called the biggest logistics company in the world. Yeah. I spoke to their GM. Um, Dom, who's, who's an incredible man, and he just said, "Hey, man," I said, "Like, what are we doing? Like, I can't, I can't get my chefs to be out for a day because I, I need to do five thousand meals. Like, I can't actually do this." So, they then gave us a fifty thousand dollar Uber account, and we moved every single newly arrived Afghan refugee to all their medical centres. We passed it on to another charity partner, the Settlement Service International, um, and they started to move everybody to their medical appointments, um, vaccination clinics temporary housing. Um, so that was Uber. Um, Deputy kind of kicked in with a huge amount of kind of resources and funds. Um, that, was a, that was a big kind of um, donor. AMP have donated a fair bit as well. So a lot of the big banks and kind of organisations have kind of stepped in with some cash to help out. Mm. Uh, we've won a few grants from the City of Sydney, which has been really, really, really nice to kind of keep it ticking over. Yeah. Um, because the more that we kind of had being able to keep that way, we can keep more people on and employ more people um, and run our training school. So we've kind of looked at a, a combination of in-kind and mm. how does organisations use their skill sets, their people and their true assets um, to actually make social change that they might not be able to do on a day-to-day basis, but working collaboratively with other organisations and, and not-for-profits and, and, and an ecosystem. And this is how we kind of grew up in, in communities forever. Everyone kind of doing their part. Part of what's brought us together today is a bit of a discussion um, really around, uh, um, because while all of this is happening, of course, Mm. with the pandemic, you have the Afghanistan situation and you you mentioned an influx of Afghani refugees. And uh, you've just uh, launched Kabul Social, which uh, is a restaurant in the Met Centre here uh, in Wynyard. I think it's a 20-seater? No. 25. 25-seater. 25-seater. It's open Mondays to Fridays, 11 to 3, 11am yep. to 3pm. And I want you to tell us a little bit about this project, how long you've worked on it yep. and the process you've gone uh, in terms of the idea yep. uh, and who leads uh, in a very practical way delivery of it. Yep. Yep. I suppose it it happened all very quickly. So we we kind of got asked by, by a couple of people to help out with the food for the newly arrived Afghan refugees that might not have been got in culturally appropriate food or food they could eat um, while they're in quarantine or where they first moved in. And migrant communities sometimes have never had an individual meal. I think it's very, you know, British. Right. And, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That's it's how, sort of shared as opposed to individualised. Exactly, yeah, yeah. My mum's ever said, there's your curry, you know. Yeah. I mean, like it's, 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 there's a table's <laughs> yeah, curry yeah, yeah. and you kind of, you kind of get it. Um, so what we did, we, we, we recreated that with like, you know, like, you know, the fancy Provador kits or those meal kits. Um, and we started donating large kits of like, and it was also make your own stuff. So people could actually, a mum who might have been used to cooking their whole time, um, could actually recreate and do some dishes with that, but are still donating right. free. Um, and then we started to do that to to the kind of um, newly arrived Afghan refugees, and we started to meet them through various ways. And that was the same time that Mervac had donated a space to us um, and said, we want you to do something with it. Um, and I don't believe in chance. I don't believe in coincidence. It kind of all happened at the same time. And I remember walking down the stairs with my partner and she was just like, what, what are you thinking? I'm like, give me a sec. Um, and I said, this has got to be knuckleball social. And she's like, nailed it. Like 
start talking about it. Um, and then we start to talk to the to, to some of the, the newly arrived Afghan refugees about this kind of concept and we started to evolve it and, and started to discuss it um, and then started to get them in, in kind of an advisory capacity on how the restaurant could work. And we're talking about people that had never worked a day in their lives, um, people that had never, ever kind of stepped foot in a kitchen, let alone a workplace. And we took them on the ride and started to to build this concept. Um, it took about, I'd say, six months of, of Eight, six to eight months of, of planning, probably six months of planning, two two months of just pure training, mm. um, getting people in, doing soft launches, giving them the skills. Um, but they've got financial literacy courses, they've got um, English, co- they've got a whole heap of other support services, they've got female mentors to help them out, um, and a lot of things. But yeah, it was about eight months of planning to before we opened the doors. Yeah, and and I think um, so the restaurant as it currently stands is. Now, your head count may have changed in the meantime, but I yep. think eight Afghani women, yep. uh, one Afghani man, one, one Muhammad. Dude. <laughs> one shout, out, yeah, sh- shout out to you, Muhammad. I know you're listening. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, but I, and I think the kind of thing to tease out here is um, is who's telling the story. Yep. I think that's the, the key thing. And it sort of takes me back to the um, your introduction around the television service. The Aboriginal Health Television. Yes. Yep. And so in, in terms of the, the menu design, yep. Uh, the communication strategy, like yep. how how does that process go on? And yep. uh, and and are, and, and are you uh, learning the language? <laughs> <laughs> I can swear, I can swear in Dari actually, uh, which gives everyone a bit of a giggle. Um, we're we've actually started to learn. Um, everything gets translated into Dari. Um, all our signage, everything's in in Dari. But we actually got an English policy in the restaurant so that they can start to learn as well. I think it's really important that they start to talk to to customers and things like that. But uh, they, they speak back a house in in, in, in Dari, that's completely fine. But there's certain areas when where we say, look, we want you to start to learn the language yeah. and talk to each other in English. Um, but the I've never had a website build so slow in a, in a bit of a way um, and a social media strategy and a, and, a, and a communication strategy because everything has to get signed off by the women we talk about. There's no post that we do that doesn't include them um, and doesn't get their sign off. Uh, media releases, everything like that was was we had an embargo because we weren't sure about the story, and we wanted to make sure that the way that we were conveying that was was done by them. So it's a lot of talking to them, but what we don't talk about is we don't talk about their past per se. It's not a, it's not a sob story, um, or it's not this is what's happened in a bad way. It's like this is where the future is. This is what we're doing, and this is the story of this is the story of Roya, a female gender specialist, that's the technical term, but a female, this is a tough one to pronounce, a female freedom fighter advocating for women's rights in Afghanistan and who couldn't stay there because of what happened and and, and her future. Uh, A woman who has kind of of braved everything to kind of get out here. Other ladies who are in their 50s who have never given work, whose families have been separated. But that's, that's kind of where their backstory is. But now it's like, hold on, what they do every day is turn up and work and give them like mate trying to pry a recipe out of most people is pretty difficult they've just opened up their recipe books and be like no no no, this is what we think this is how to do it this is what we do and they're just kind of this is it and they've shared it with us it's it's not easy to translate it from dari into into english to get front of exact measurements but They've done it, um, and they're there every day, kind of doing it. And that, I think that that story of of eight women in a kitchen 
is unprecedented. I've never seen it anywhere. And of of eight women who've never ever stepped foot into a commercial kitchen before, to have that, it, it, it's powerful. There, there's seven months. There's a seven month um, pregnant woman who's on the like scrubbing. Di- I'm like, can you not? Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, we do this. And I remember talking to to Muhammad, who you referenced, and and I said, mate, like, he's got. I think he's got an MBA or something. Uh, highly qualified dude. And I'm like, I know. I'm sorry. I can't. I'm like, this is the job. Like, this is it. Um, and he said, no, we are family. Like, we do. We do. I'm like, far out, man. Like. It kind of hits you, you know, that, that that they treat that place not only as their own, but something that they're super proud of, which is which is beautiful. I wanted to just uh, um, get a sense from you of another aspect of Kabul Social, hmm. which is as a customer, you turn up, yep. um, you buy a meal, yep. enjoy the meal, but what else okay. happens as part of that? Look, uh, you donate two meals. So everybody that that comes in there donates two meals as part of their their transaction. Um, they don't pay anything extra. It's just then built into the way that that, that it works. Um, one meal will go to someone in Sydney, um, and then one meal will go to a family in Afghanistan. Um, and we're doing that. So in the first week, it was one thousand one hundred and fifty six meals that were donated from the venue. Um, as of the, the seventh day. I think we're up to 1,800 meals that have been donated already from that, from that venue. And the reason that we've chosen to do this is, is consumers want to do good. And I think in Australia, we've actually got such a generous nature. Um, and the concept of mate helping mate has always been very true. And that kind of, you know, the underdog story, whatever you want to say, but like we're, we're a very generous nation. And we're trying to make giving easy so that you know, you kind of don't feel like you have to go and donate to charity. You can kind of go, well, I'm going to pay $16 for, for a wrap or a burger here, or I'll pay $16 for a wrap or a burger here. Next door, yeah. Um, so the price point hasn't changed or the quality hasn't changed or the level of service hasn't changed. We hope it's better. But there is also a giving on the back end of that, which allows people to walk away from the transaction and go, it's the and method. Oh, and that was that. And, and there was that. And, and there was that. Oh, cool. They employed women who might not get a job. They employed asylum seekers. They employed people that are pregnant. Um, they, whatever the case is. Um, and then they also um, donated meals and also the food was this. And it's just that kind of thought process behind it. Uh, like, it, it just does my head in, in the sense that I can't, I still don't understand how you do it in that, uh, you know, is this. So I don't make light of the situation because yep. it's a remarkable what you're doing, but it's a bit like magic beans or something. I'm buying a meal, but somehow that's – is that I'm imagining through corporate partnerships or some model that – like no, how does it work? What? So, so the, the, uh, being rent-free, thanks to Mervac, has helped. So that losing that big expense has yep. kind of made that possible. But besides that, it just runs as a commercial business. Right. Um, we're, 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 we're well over our target labour costs, but that's okay because – we're still doing something good with it. At this point, we actually touch wood. It kind of continues, but um, it actually turned a profit the first week. If we were just taking on pure pure numbers, yeah, which is remarkable. I thought I thought we'd never hit that. Um, so we've been able to do that, but it's just about being really smart around our costs, um, really smart around things, and being 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 as diligent as possible and factoring in at the start that 
huge cost. The biggest cost that we have is the, the donation, actually, and then labor. Yeah, right. Um, so factoring that in and then kind of going, well, this is, and telling the team, be very, you know, the reason why we are doing this is because of the donation and the employment and the training. So just always when we're, when we're doing, our, like, be smart about it so that we, we can make sure that the, the longevity of the program stays so that people get fed continually and we're all driving for that same mission. So, like, sometimes you get charities where you get a big funding hit, cool, you can go do something, but then you've got to go out again and do it. Like, what we want to do is give charities that we partner with in Afghanistan and part, charities that we partner with in Australia, like, consistent revenue so they can kind of say, look, I can bank on this coming through and I know that we can therefore feed 500 people a day or whatever it is um, so that – because people don't choose when they're hungry. You know, they, they are hungry all the time. So being able to do that with predictive and, and measurable stability allows programs to continue on in perpetuity with the impact that it deserves um, and needs. It's a, it, it is a remarkable uh, story and I think for listeners the – you know, probably it's seventeen to twenty dollars for a meal. It's good quality food made with love, yep. uh, right in the middle of the city, uh, yep. um, in a, in a market where it, uh, you know, unique stories. And as you say, for uh, I think Sydney siders, for visitors to the city, seeking out yep. uh, and and finding something unique is um, is 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 all the more better, isn't it? Yep. For, as a as a citizen of the city, uh, no wonder you've been awarded the Australian Human Rights Commission. Um, community award in 2021 and congratulations on that it's um you know i'm no doubt it's not why you've done any of this but um it's nice to to sort of be acknowledged i want to uh um understand a couple more things uh, while we have our time together one is about um you know the and you know there'll be people listening to this in you know the hospitality sector who who are facing um staffing challenges and i think trying to be constructive about it like you're you know, it isn't necessarily where the conversations go about how to, you know, re- replace la- the labour force uh, in context with so many people left. But you're you, you're working with um, asylum seekers, and you were mentioning just in the pregame about uh, another effort that you're uh, engaging on. Do you just want to sort of talk about that? Yeah. So what we've got is is uh, probably our flagship program. Actually, you call it Ability Social. Um, it is a training school. So and while it sounds romantic to, to kind of hire people from like seeking asylum. Like there, there's a lot of things that we have to do in the background. Um, a lot of soft stuff. We have HR managers, we have support workers, a whole heap of things. So um, it is, it is, it is challenging and there's a lot more training and dedication, especially in a fast paced restaurant. So, so, so can I just want to just yeah. make it clear here yeah. um, beyond the involvement of the staff in the restaurant, you're providing them with support services beyond that, which include language skills, which include social skills, depending on there's, social service, depending on yeah, their needs. Yeah, cetera, there's, right? there's a few things that we just kind of have to do on, uh, and sometimes yep. that's partner organisations. Commonwealth Bank might do the financial literacy, or or, right. or there might be a caseworker that kind of we we, we check yep. in with to make sure that they're yep. they're kind of fully supported. There's that, but the the meal, I'll, I'll probably tell you the, the the story how it all started was when we're sitting around at, at I got nine elders from Redfern to kind of come through to Colombo Social once the kind of lockdown and lifted. And I said, hey, are we doing the right thing? Like, you know, <laughs> with a restaurant, you get Google reviews. You know if you're you, you screwed yeah. up or not. Um, but in a, in, a, in a charity, you don't have the one-on-one kind of conversations with the person. So we got nine of them around and they kind of looked uncomfortable. Um, and Colombo Social is not fancy, but it's a, it's, a, it's a restaurant. And I'm like, is everyone kind of okay? They're like, well... <laughs> No, I'm like, have have you guys been to like a restaurant like this? And like seven of them had never been to a restaurant in their life. 
and these are these are very very renowned and 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 community leaders. I'm like shit. That's not that's 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 not right. And I asked Aunty Linda, and she said, "Oh, look, our people are bored. They do dumb things. Can you give them a job?" And that kind of made me think. Well, if I've got to employ people to cook, why don't we employ people from the communities that we're feeding to cook? Hopefully, they do a bit of a better job because they're cooking for their families. But also, we're we're looking at building long term skills and looking at labour. Like, where's their labour shortages, um, and where do they need people? And that was the hospitality sector, especially in the in the kitchens. Um, so we started what we call Ability Social, which is a six-month paid program for people from Indigenous communities. We've got 50% Indigenous, and then this this cohort is actually 75% Indigenous, um, and then people either live with disability, recover from addiction, kind of previously incarcerated, or or, or wherever, where, wherever their background is where they won't be able to get a job, um, and getting them to come in there and cook, and we, we, we pay them. Um, the whole concept is it doesn't matter what you're doing. You can hang out with a celebrity chef. You can do whatever it is, but you're getting paid for it. And we teach them just soft skills. We teach them knife skills. We teach them cooking skills. You know, something that we've got. A, we've got a guy. We actually start this on uh, on Monday, and it's a guy who who can't get custody of his kids, even though he, his wife has addiction issues because he's indigenous and doesn't have a job and a man. So we're like, well, this isn't right. So we're kind of doing that now. That's that's something that really kind of grounds us and keeps us kind of the focus and allows our chefs to pass on knowledge. I've got guys that have been had restaurants and kind of been all over the world that have kind of come back and went, we, well, we want to give back to our city as well. And they're doing this, they, 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 everyone gets paid. Um, so for them, it's just a job where they can fulfill their social purpose while doing something and pass on the baton. And yeah, that, that's, 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 a, it's, it's a beautiful program. We had a hundred percent, like our first time that we did it was a hundred percent um, graduation rate and hundred percent employment rate on the back end of that. Um, we had to stop it because of COVID, um, and now we're restarting it. What I liked about Gabul Social in particular, because I felt it more acutely there. Maybe it's because I've got an Indian background and um, haven't dined that often at Colombo Social, but uh, it, it's taking what would otherwise potentially be a negative image of a place far away mm. uh, and presenting not in a illegitimate way, but in a genuine way, a experience of Afghani culture here in Sydney hmm. in a way that uh, celebrates ce- celebrates Afghani culture. 100%. I guess. Yeah. 100%. Uh, and, and I think that that's just something really important to, to reflect on. But is there is there other things that, like, you know, y- you think could be being done by industry, by government? Uh, and, you know, it's a very complicated matter, this. Yep. So I guess I'm not, you know, try and maybe give me a couple of things to think about if yep. you can. Yeah. So we've got it. We've naively kind of got a goal for our catering company. So we do high-end catering um, and that's cooked by the students or, or a lot of the people from our communities that kind of go out there. Um, and it's not a, like a, a lot of it's not drop-off catering. A lot of it's deep catering. So we're doing stuff where we actually have the community members speaking about their dishes. They kind of come up with the dishes with us. We then recreate it. It might be a recipe that they've had and then we, we take it out there to people. Um, and we've done that with C-suite kind of kind of boards. Um, we've done that with 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 the high 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 um, kind of the powerful people that are decision makers for our communities. And what we do that is because you could potentially get to chat to somebody over food, hear a story, and then think about them when you're making a decision at a board level, or think about them when you're making a decision mm. at a government level, or when you're making decisions. Having someone that you've met and known 
and being able to talk to and connect with and, and realize your similarities versus your differences. And that's a really important part. I've, I've had lawyers from, from, from very, very successful law firms that are partners standing there with one of our indigenous chefs talking about watching wrestling or supporting Parramatta Reels or whatever it is. Um, and you could take this man who's probably making, I don't even know, squillions of dollars um, and a guy who had brain damage and never worked a day in his life before he started with us and, and never even thought about cooking. Um, and you say, you, you, they're going to be able to talk for two and a half hours and you, I'm going to have to go in there and physically say, can you guys stop? Because I need you to start working. Um, uh, and you'd never even dream of that. But then for them to come together and, and, and be talking all night and getting along and having having jokes afterwards and stuff like that, like that's where we go. That can change decisions forever. And that's where we kind of want to do it. And I think where, where we kind of come to with, with a lot of these programs and why we do it over food in particular, but what we think about is if we're all the same, some people's opportunities might not have been equal, but when we start to see that and we start to have those kind of deep conversations with someone that you might never have dreamed of, um, and, and again, I'll reference mum, but she said Oprah one day, was, she was watching Oprah, and she said, everyone has a story. Like you look at everybody, you, you know, I don't know how many people there are in the city, but there's millions, right, in Sydney, but you walk past everybody and they've all got the same deep desires to be loved, to be cared for, to be fed, to be to be kind of, you know, looked after and have fun and, and everybody's got the same desires in life and you go past everybody, you look at them and you go, hold on, they've got a backstory that's probably similar to mine. They've got yearnings and cravings and thoughts and desires and, and hopes and dreams that are exactly to me. They might differ in certain ways, but that doesn't mean that they're, they're very different at all. And we start to build that empathy towards each other. I think you start to think about things a little bit differently um, and you start to see people differently. Um, and yourself reflected in them versus yourself being like, you know, I'm six foot three. I'm a I'm a big dude. I'm I'm not very light. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I've, I've got I've got stuff in common with with people. Um, I think the workforce does that when you're working with people. But then you you can't go away. But when you're walking on the train, or you're sitting on the train, or you're you're walking down the street, you you realize that far out, man. We're all kind of we're all the same. And that thought process is is kind of where we want the world to be. Mm. Mm, quite a bit there to reflect on. I think it's well just to make it clear is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the, uh, the if I can call it a program that you're running, uh, as you have asylum seekers, refugees acclimatise into their new environment, the ambition isn't necessarily to keep them behind the counter at um, Kabul Social, but if someone was studying law, then let's get them back on their pathway to... Oh well, yep. maybe that person needs career advice as a recovering lawyer myself. But like you know, maybe they can maybe they can go off and you know, yeah. you know spread their wings here in Australia and and contribute in other ways in the community. Exactly, and that's the beauty of having the corporate partnerships. We've got some of the law firms that are mentoring these the, the women that were studying law in Afghanistan um, and couldn't anymore. So they've got we're building career pathways and, and mentorship for them um, from a very very senior. Um, women lawyers. Uh, there's there's hospitality people that some people want to stay in hospitality, so we've got them with with really good restaurant managers or chefs from from across across Sydney to kind of to mentor them in, and to look at where they want to go. So there's a two way conversation. One conversation is what what do we need to do in the immediate, um, and what skills do you need to get out there, and then where do you want to be in the future, and what can we do, and who can we introduce you to, and and, and kind of have those kind of conversations so that they can get there. Um, hopefully not too soon because we we really like them. And they're they're great, but you know where they want to be in their life is something that we're we're quite um, interested in as well. 
Sean, it's been a great afternoon chatting. It's uh, located in the Met Centre, shop number... J15. J15. <laughs> it's a big blue um, I don't even ask. You, you can't miss it. If, you, if you're if uh, somewhere near the McDonald's in Wynyard, hang yeah. a left and, you know, it's bright blue, right? Royal Royal blue, which royal I've, blue. I learned is uh, uh, quite distinctly... F- Distinctively Afghani, isn't yep. it? Yeah, uh, 100%. And using yep. celebrations and things like that. So uh, make sure you do get down and check it out. Uh, and um, yeah, you uh, you, you know you'll be doing good for yourself and and for the community and for the yep. people serving you. But uh, the one question I will ask you to wrap yep. is um, is this? I like to think of the neon grid, which is a metaphor in the twenty four hour economy for for how Sydney lights up at different times of day and night. Yep. What's one experience of your area or your community that you'd most like to share with others? Ooh, good question. Um, the one area that I'd love to share is that Denmore Road. Just, I think it was the the coolest street in 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 Australia. Is it? Um, uh, well, in Sydney, I in think Sydney? Um, yeah. was, um, it made the list of the world's coolest streets via uh, a leading publication. <laughs> we won't name. <laughs> but that. I no longer have a com- that I've no long no longer have any connection to. I think I think that's something that that's quite quite powerful is that spirit of of community. Denmore Road has a community that I've never seen anywhere in the world. It's an eclectic mix of, of all all nationalities, all different kind of operators that have been there for twenty years from suburb when it was suburbia to the new kind of inner west kind of oh, hip place that it is. Um, but we all coincide and we all get along. And to me that's the pure ecosystem of, of, of kind of a community, all different but all united and we kinda of go down the street and you you kind of I remember going down the street with one of my mates, he's like, Are you a celebrity in the May here? I'm like, No, that's every business owner. Just gets along with each other, or every staff, or every regular. We see our regulars go through, like we go to every single bar, and they're there um, after they join us. Um, and I think that that represents what we love about Sydney is that collectiveness and and uh, and that kind of universal nature of it, which is which is beautiful. Well, uh, what a great way to finish the podcast, uh, Sean, Chrissy, David. Thanks very much for your contribution to Sydney and and, and for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thanks, thanks, Mike. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Neon Grid podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. To get involved with our efforts to reimagine Sydney's 24-hour economy, sign up to the Neon Grid newsletter. You'll find that on the Investment New South Wales website, which is at investment.nsw.gov.au, or hit the link in the show notes. You can also follow me, your host, Michael Rodriguez, on LinkedIn. And as always, carpe noctum.